Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition. We've got a very special show for you today. Today's show is brought to you by the secrets of successful syndication. This two-day workshop will unlock the keys to the kingdom in terms of how to take your investing career to the next level. Almost all professional developers use syndication to scale their business. When I talk with deal sponsors, I hear over and over again that access to capital is the number one thing holding them back. It's going to be held on September 25th and 26th, two full days of amazing content. This event is put on by my good friends at the Real Estate Guys radio show. I've been to events all over the world, and I have to tell you that this event is among the very best in the world. Of course, it's being held virtually. We're still in the pandemic environment. To learn more, go to victorjm.com slash events. That's victorjm.com slash events. We are back. Today's show was a talk that I gave in Toronto, virtually, of course, we're still in the pandemic, about how to hire to build an effective team. Enjoy today's talk on how to hire. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Victor Menashe. I'm the author of the book, Magnetic Capital. I'm a real estate developer, and I'm the host of the Real Estate Espresso podcast, a daily show seven days a week. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm a developer. Uh, That's what I do day in, day out. Projects here in Ottawa, projects here in multiple markets outside Canada as well. This is a project that we're building up in Spokane, Washington, a 142-unit project. Uh, We have projects in Houston, Lake Charles, Louisiana, Philly, uh, various other places. And when it comes to talking about project management, I was thinking hard about exactly what to talk about because it's such a massive topic. If you go to the PMI uh, Institute and look at the project management body and knowledge, there's just so much to talk about. I could give you a quick eight-hour tutorial on how to do scheduling, or I could give you a two-hour segment on risk management or something esoteric like that, or go into any one of the 49 processes. And it's just this massive, massive topic. So it was a little bit of a struggle to figure out what to talk about that would actually give you some something tangible that you could work with uh, literally tomorrow morning. So I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction. And it has to do with what constitutes a successful project. It's really a cultural thing. We tend to think of a successful project as something that was completed, it was done early, and it was done under budget. Anything other than that, we consider it to be a failure. And that's a, that's a cultural definition, really, of success or failure when it comes to projects. In fact, you could have two identical projects. They both take the same amount of time. They both have the same amount of good luck. They both have the same amount of bad luck. And the only thing that distinguishes those two projects is what was the expectation that was set about when they would be done? So you can have two identical projects. One is a success, the other one's a failure. And the only difference between them is the expectation that was set. So planning often defines success and failure. It's not just execution, but what was the expectation you set? So that's a vitally, vitally important piece. So what do you need for a project? You need a bunch of resources. You gotta manage those resources, whether it's people, money, time, the equipment, maybe some of the raw materials you got to work within the regulations and the constraint, you got to manage all of those different facets. And then the question becomes, if a project's not successful, well, why was it not successful? These days, we tend to place a lot more emphasis in the year 2020 on these acts of God. I think, you know, the pandemic is going to get blamed for more than its share of failures this year. But in more normal times, 
if you look at the root causes of why projects fail overwhelmingly, and I mean overwhelmingly, they are traceable down to one thing, and that is you had the wrong people or some version of that in the wrong chairs. The wrong people in the wrong chairs. So you can be an expert on project management. You can have some of the best systems and processes in the world. And when we talk about project management, people often request that we talk about strategy, that we talk about systems. Uh, you know, what tool are you using? Are you using Microsoft Project? Are you using critical chain tools? All these different systems and tools. But at the end of the day, the one thing that's going to make the biggest difference in your projects is did you have the right people in the right chairs? Or did you have the wrong people in the wrong chairs? That is the biggest leverage point. So I'm going to switch gears on you today. And instead of talking about project management, give you something that I think will help you in your hiring. Because if you can hire the right people and get the right people in the right chairs, that will do more for you than months of studying on project management. Of course, you'll probably want to do that too. But this will give you more leverage than anything else. So we're talking about finding the right people. The first thing you've got to do, of course, is multiply yourself. This is a team sport. It's not a solo sport. And of course, even if you had enough hours in the day to get the project done yourself, you don't have the skills. Nobody does. So you've got to find people whose strengths complement your weaknesses. You've got to then multiply yourself. You've got to delegate the work. But more importantly, delegate responsibility. It's oftentimes if you hire people that are too junior, you end up delegating tasks, but then the tasks come back to you and you don't actually get the multiplier that you were hoping to have because you didn't delegate the work properly or they didn't have the skills to take on the work fully. Within any organization, there are seven core functions. There are seven core roles that are vitally important and we could literally spend two hours just on this one slide alone. I'm not going to. For each of those roles, there are four types of team members. And so you want to think very deliberately, very strategically, the folks, if they're coming into your organization, how are they coming into the, into the organization? Are they coming in as partners or as part of your executive team? Are you hiring them as employees, either full-time or part-time? Uh, it's very, I have to tell you, it's very difficult if you're hiring only contractors. It's hard to build a sustainable organization with rented talent. You've got to have that longevity. And that means full-time employees dedicated to those functions. Now, sometimes contractors are very appropriate. Would you hire a, a lawyer, let's say, to be a full-time employee for your company? Well, if you're large enough, maybe. But if not, you hire them by the transaction. You get them to do a closing might do the same thing with a realtor. You may not have a realtor on staff full-time, but you may hire them and pay them by the transaction. And then finally, you have advisors. Now, you, again, want to think very consciously, very deliberately about what, you know, what type of team member you want in each role. So, for example, would you contract out raising capital? I would suggest probably not, because that's a core function. Would you make your bookkeeper a partner or a member of the executive team? No. That's not a core function. That's something that can be contracted out. You want to think about what's core to the organization and think very deliberately when you bring somebody in, which of those four modes of engagement are you going to employ? And once you've done that, then you've got to look at how to hire. And this is where I take a very big issue with traditional human resource management. Traditional HR says you hire for skills.
And if you look at most labor law, it's very skills focused. So let me distinguish the difference between skills and attributes. Skills are things that you can acquire over a relatively short time period. I can type 180 words a minute. That's a skill. That's a learned skill. An attribute is a characteristic. Who are you as an individual? And attributes are acquired, they're evolved over a longer period of time. Traditional HR says hire for skills. I say nope, hire for attributes because skills can be learned. If you think about it, Starbucks does this extremely well. They hire for attributes. They say, look, we hire for personality because we can teach anyone to make coffee. But if you're not polite, if you don't like people, if you're not personable, we can't teach you that. But we can teach you how to make coffee. So it's really about hiring for attributes, not skills. And all of the literature on HR and HR management, again, is very skills, fo very skills focused. Now, there's one major dimension when you are looking to hire someone is where are they in their personal and professional growth path. And just like a child growing into an adult, the same growth progression happens with members of your team. When someone comes in the first day on the job, they are completely dependent on you for direction. You have to show them, here's how you operate the cash register. You know, here's how you take inventory off the shelf. Here's how you record the inventory in the database. They are dependent on you for absolutely everything. And then as they become more proficient, they can start to work independently. And then when they start to demonstrate initiative and start to connect with more of the organization, they take on that interdependent quality that is a sign of maturity happens the same thing in professional life as well, not just in human you know, growth, but in professional growth, but that same progression occurs and you want to look for that and you want to think very deliberately for every single role that you want to hire, which of those three do you want? Do you want to hire someone that is that rookie that's going to need a lot of handholding? Maybe sometimes for certain roles, that's very appropriate. You can grow organizations very, very well by hiring smart, talented people that don't have a lot of experience. But you have to have balance in the organization. You can't build an entire organization out of rookies. You cannot build an entire organization out of executives. You'll get nothing done. So you have to think about balance within the organization and think very carefully for each role, where's the ideal person going to be in their professional growth when they come into the company or into the organization? Now this slide here is the most important slide of the entire presentation. I could literally spend hours talking about this one slide. And this is what's called a competency matrix. With the competency matrix, we look at all of the attributes associated with the role. We use this matrix twice. We use it first to define the role that we're looking to hire, and then we use it a second time to evaluate the interview candidate to see how they match against that role definition. On the competency matrix, we look at each of these attributes, whether it's planning horizon, I'll describe what these mean, complexity of decision-making, sphere of influence, their leadership, their technical depth. And by the way, when we talk about hiring people, we often assess their technical expertise first. We look at them as technicians and not some of these other attributes. We look at their communication skills, we look at how much financial responsibility they have, and this is a very difficult one to assess their level of introspection. And when we talk about skills, you can, that's very easy. Okay, they type 180 words a minute. 
but when it comes to attributes, it's a little bit less tangible. If you start to use this matrix, you will be able to see how you can assess someone's attributes along these list of competencies. Let's start with, and I know this is a little bit of an eye chart, but hopefully you're all sitting in front of a computer so you can read this. We'll start with Planning Horizon. Someone who is just starting out, they've just come into the organization, their Planning Horizon is very short. And what I mean by Planning Horizon, you cannot see over the horizon. The horizon is as far as you can see. So someone who's new, their Planning Horizon is very short. It might be what's for lunch. That's their, that's their horizon. But as they become more advanced, as they become more skilled, then their planning horizon lengthens. And as you get more and more senior in the organization, the planning horizon gets longer and longer. At the executive level, I would expect the planning horizon to be measured in years, not weeks or days. That's a very simple thing to assess in an interview setting. You can start to ask them, where do they naturally gravitate in terms of their own planning horizon? And you can ask them for examples. It's a very, very easy way for you to assess where someone lives naturally against that one attribute. Next, complexity of decision making. Are they working on very simple problems with a single variable in a single dimension? Or are they working on much more complex problems with multiple dimensions and multiple variables? Or are they working on problems where the problem isn't even defined? Part of their job is to define the problem, figure out how to break the problem down, define what the variables are, define the resources that are needed to solve the problem, and so on. So with each of these levels, the level of complexity is going up. Again, this is something that you can assess in an interview context. I'm not going to go through the whole table because, like I said, we could be here for hours. I'll go through one more. Sphere of influence. Where is their natural sphere of influence? Is it confined to a few people? Or is it, say, industry-wide? You can see very, very quickly where are they? Where does that person naturally live in this one dimension? And so you can use this matrix to determine, number one, what is it that you want for a particular role? And number two, where does your interview candidate live relative to this matrix. It's a much more powerful way of assessing attributes than simply looking at skills. Oh yeah, I built 20 houses. Okay, what does that mean? It's almost impossible to tell. When you start to look at people from an attributes perspective, it's much more revealing. Okay, next. I'm going to introduce you to a book called Who by Jeff Smart. Now, Jeff is not as famous as his dad. His dad is uh, Brad Smart, and Brad was um, exec um, Vice President of Human Resources at General Electric. He worked for Jack Welsh, the legendary CEO of General Electric. And his, his dad had this entire system called top grading, and it was very big and cumbersome and corporate and complex. It was literally like carrying an aircraft carrier on your shoulders. His son, Jeff, came up with a much more lightweight approach, a much more accessible, a much more practical approach for figuring out how to hire people. And I would highly recommend this book. I'm going to take one thing from the book and share it with you. I want you to read the book. The Good Hire has five qualities. And I'm going to demonstrate the, the, the Good Hire by looking at hiring mistakes. And what I'd like you to do 
is I'd like you to think back on a bad hire that you experienced somewhere, maybe it was someone somewhere in your organization, maybe it was somewhere in a company that you worked for before, and I can guarantee you, without knowing their name, without knowing any of the story, I can guarantee you if it was a bad hire, one of these five elements was missing. They were either not competent, they were maybe not coachable, there was a lack of chemistry, maybe their ego was out of control, or there was a lack of commitment to the organization. One or more of these elements was missing. I guarantee it. And if you think back, in fact, take a minute, if you've got a piece of notepaper in front of you, write down a name, and I'm sure it'll come to your mind very quickly, of someone who was a terrible hire. Uh, I have a, someone in mind right now myself. And I can say immediately, yep, that person, they were not competent. They did not know what the heck they were doing. And then they were very defensive about it. So they had they, they were not coachable. So those two things made them a bad hire. And eventually, after a couple of months, I had to fire them. Uh, probably waited way too long. If one or more of these are missing, you're going to have a bad hire. So hopefully, this will be helpful for you in determining when you're making a good hire. And definitely go get the book called Who by Jeff Smart. You want to assess who are you talking to? Are you talking about, are you talking to an A player, a B player, or a C player? And you, this is a distinction. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki gave me this that A players tend to talk about outcomes linked to expectations. Back to that very first definition of success and failure. They tend to measure themselves against that definition of success and failure. What was the expectation? A players tend to talk that way. Whereas B players talk about events, they talk about people they met, and C players, they talk about how hard they worked. And that's about it. And you can tell very quickly are you talking to an A player, a B player, or a C player? Now, if you want to hire C players, go for it. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that the folks that give you a 10x multiplier in your business, they're the A players. And when you find them, man, they're worth their weight in gold. They are the linchpins in your organization. You will discover that people tend to lie during the interview process. So I'm going to give you another little trick. If you ask one of the standard interview questions like, tell me what is one of your greatest strengths, they will wax poetically about something that they were really good at. And if you ask them what is your greatest weakness, they will give you some story. But if you just change a couple of words in that question, and you say, instead of what is your greatest strength, if you say, when I ask your former manager, you're telling them up front that you're going to do your, your due diligence, that you're going to be doing a reference check. When I ask your former manager about your strengths, what would he or she say? It builds an accountability into the way you've asked the question so that they answer the question the way their former manager would answer it because they know it's going to come full circle. And you ask the second question exactly the same way. Just that little tweak will, won't necessarily eliminate people from lying in the interview process but it will close a lot of those gaps for you. And then finally, once you are almost ready, you let them know that you're going to give them an offer, take them out for a beer before they've seen the offer letter, and just see how they conduct themselves. Oftentimes, when people put their guard, let their guard down, they will behave in a way that is very revealing. I've seen a lot of hiring processes fail this test. And so it's a very revealing test. I encourage you to use it. It's effective.
And with that, uh, I will offer you, if you want a copy of that competency matrix, I'm happy to share it with you. Just send me an email to victor at victorjm.com and just put in the subject line competency matrix and I will be happy to share it with you. Yes, this week's talk started out as a discussion on project management and very quickly morphed into a conversation on how to hire. If you're interested in getting a copy of the competency matrix, definitely reach out to me at victor at victorjm.com. I'll be happy to send it to you along with some ideas on how you might use it to effectively bring people into your organization. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.